Hello and welcome to this podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the prevention principle. So I'm joined today by Thomas Lazar from Keating Chambers and my associate Lucinda Hill. Tom, good to have you with us. Thanks very much for having me. Now the prevention principle is something which most listeners will be familiar with because it comes up a lot in claims, particularly around time bars and more recently around concurrent delay clauses. But you've been looking at it in a little bit more detail around the shipbuilding contracts, which don't have as sophisticated extension of time provisions as your normal standard construction contract. So we'll get onto the shipbuilding contracts and, and cases in, in a moment. But I thought we, the starting point really should be sort of a bit of a refresh, a bit of revision on where the prevention principle and the concept of time and large comes from. Yeah. Well, when we've spoken about this in the past, we've said that, you know, when, when you turn up as a fresh faced construction lawyer, you, you sort of receive this wisdom from on high that, uh, you know, when there's uh, the prevention principle applies and times at large and you just take that as a given, I think, uh, and you, you don't tend to question it. But I, I think it's often quite important to go back into these principles to try and understand where it comes from. So you can get a true appreciation of, of why it's phrased in the, in the way it is. And the prevention principle is a really interesting example where the jurisprudence doesn't quite take you where you think it should based on the wisdom that you've received from your elders and betters in your, your early part of the career. So the starting point really is a general, uh, almost philosophical principle of jurisprudence that a party can't, in the absence of clear terms, take advantage of its own wrong. And that goes back to our Hussein establishment in Ethan College. But it's a far older principle than that. In fact, when we first come uh, at it in a construction context, you go back as far as Home and Guppy in 1838, which is the first case that uses this expression time at large. So it's a really old principle. And nobody has sort of provided a very clear definition of, of what that is at the time. But it was taken on by Dodd and Churton in 1897, this is how old this principle is that we're dealing with. And in Dodd and Churton, it was held by Lord Esher, Master of the Rolls in the course of appeal. He said, if a building owner has ordered extra work beyond that specified by the original contract, which is necessarily uh, the time that made the time requisite for finishing the work longer, he is thereby disentitled to claim the penalties for non-completion provided by the contract. The reason for that rule is that otherwise a most unreasonable burden would be imposed upon the contractor. So in effect, what we've got here is the, uh, the very clear statement. If a building owner does something which requires a contractor to do more, but there's a liquidated damages provision in the contract that says, well, if you take two weeks longer, you've got to pay me two pounds a week more. You can't rely on that because you've made that person go, go on longer. So very, a very simple concept, um, but it's developed in quite a complicated way. So we then have Lord Denning coming in in Trollope and Coles in the North West Metropolitan Regional Hospital Board. There's a case in 1973. And this is really the starting point for the modern jurisprudence of, of time at large and, and, and the way it's developed. But uh, it's worth just going over uh, Lord Denning's judgment. But he said, it's well settled that in building contracts and in other contracts too, when there is a stipulation for work done in a limited time, if one party by his conduct, it may be quite legitimate conduct, such as ordering extra work, renders it impossible or impracticable for the other party to do his work within the stipulated time, then the one whose conduct caused the trouble can no longer insist upon strict adherence to the time stated. 
he cannot claim any penalties or liquidated damages for non-completion in that time. But, but the difficulty is, what's that, what has been taken from the um, authorities is that actually what happens when there is an act of prevention, it's not just the liquidated damages mechanism that is removed, but that time is put at large more generally. So you get a reasonable time for completion, um, but all of the mechanism of the contract, the extension of the time mechanism, the completion dates, they're all set aside and you have to recreate all of that in some sort of hypothetical common law bubble. And it's very uncertain what a reasonable time for completion would be in those circumstances, at what point you make the assessment as to what is reasonable for completion. So there's, there's this huge fear uh, surrounding time at large, or there was, and that is what is only now being dealt with in the jurisprudence and shipbuilding contracts, but was dealt with historically in construction contracts by significant extension of time mechanisms that made sure that, frankly, this time at large point didn't arise anymore. I think that's hopefully that's a good background as to where we are, how we've got where we are in the shipbuilding world.